This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. We welcome our online listeners. Our message is entitled Brokenness, Tempted to Be You. Now, once you listen to this song very, very, very carefully, it is one of the most misunderstood songs, I believe, that has ever been written. And I believe it's also one of the songs that's misused the most in churches. And then we're going to talk about the Hebrew definition of the title of this song, with the Greek definition and I think you're going to have a very refreshed view of this song every time you hear it sung or you sing it from this day forward okay very common song and listen carefully Some songs that have the absolute complete gospel in the entire song. For me it's easy to understand but for a lot of people it's not easy to understand and that is why the archangel of worship which is Satan and his name was Lucifer when he was in charge of worship in heaven and just because he was cast out of heaven does not mean that he is not still focused on the same thing he was put in charge of when he was in heaven. That means that he is going to twist and turn and try to destroy the foundational theological teachings that are meant to be put into songs. And there are certain songs that survive continuous history. This song is one of them. And it is because of the, the solid biblical foundation presented in this song. There are other songs that repeat three words over and over. There are other songs that are hip-hopped. There are other songs that are, that are put into some type of fashion that goes out with the fashion. And the song is never to be remembered again unless you bring it out of the archive and go, oh yeah, I remember that song. But actually what we're saying is, oh, I remember that artist. And that is Satan's trick with music, is to shift the focus on the artist instead of the theology in the song. Early days, they did not focus on stage work. They oftentimes required the stage 
instrumentals to be in the back of the church. Usually if they had a balcony, it was in the balcony. The organ was in the balcony. The piano was in the balcony. The guitars were in the balcony. The singers were in the balcony. The choir was in the balcony. And that was in the early 1900s. So from Jesus Christ all the way to the early 1900s, they preserved this problem that Christians picked up on for many generations, and that is how Satan very cleverly shifts it to the, the, the musician versus the theology. And that is exactly what has happened in our church today. It's okay, by grace, to move the musicians on stage because the worship leaders should be bypassing themselves and bringing the worship as unto the Lord. Now we have people that are literally bored because it's not their style of music. Churches are built around styles, fashions of music. They leave churches because of the style or the fashion of music. Instead of bypassing the human on stage who is just simply trying to usher the person or the people to the throne of God to make sure that the theology stays in place. When you sing theology, it goes to the innermost part of man. Remember in Proverbs where it says a whisper is like a dainty morsel that goes to the innermost parts of man? That's what music does. Music in the Hebrew means spirit guide. Satan knows that. He was the spirit that guided all of heaven unto the throne of God. Now here on earth he's trying to do the opposite. And the way he gets that done is to have them focus on the musician instead of the theology of the music. Now I want to show you something because it goes with our topic on brokenness. But first, someone please tell me what grace means. Okay. There's quite a few definitions that are used. Unmerited mercy. Unmerited favor is another one. Okay. Free gift. Okay. You know my thing about keeping the Hebrew intact with the Greek. It is more important to understand Hebrew than it is to understand Greek. That's just the facts. And there would be pastors that would debate me on that until they die. Because they have focused on Greek. That's like focusing on the English language. When you should be focusing on Latin if you're going to understand the English language. So really we should be mastering the art of Hebrew and being educated on Greek if you're going to be teachers of the word. But for some reason we do it backwards just like we do most things in the church. Like we put music before the message. 
versus the message and the music. It used to be up, up to the early 1900s that music was on the back side of the service. Why would you do that? Why would you put all the music on the back end of the service? A response to hearing the Word of God. The Word of God goes down into your mortal being. It transforms you. And the end result is, is you praise God for what you've heard in, in the morning service. Satan has twisted things to be backwards in our Christianity. Because he is backwards himself. Now, Hebrew, for grace, is divine influence. It's not free, it's not favor, it's those things are after the cross. The cross is what provided divine favor or divine influence to be free. So it could actually be an act of mercy. So now I want us to read this passage. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. Okay, now Satan is a backward God with a little g. In all verses, if you want to understand the actual passage, read it backwards. Not the words, the concepts. He would go, okay, you yourselves have compelled me to be foolish. I should have been complimented by you people in this community by my brother, by my sister, by my cousin, by my friend. See, Satan puts the emphasis on, you should be giving me a blessing. And on the nobody part, even though I'm a nobody, Satan uses that as the first thing out of the chute to, so the person suffers with, quote-unquote, poor self-esteem. I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. Paul was saying that because of what he just realized through his brokenness. That's not how Satan works on us. He works on us from the bottom up. Just as he did in the garden. He didn't go at God directly. He tried that routine. He didn't go at Adam directly. And he went through creation, the apple, the tree, the environment, to Eve, to Adam, and broke the relationship with God. That's how he always does it. Count on it. Whatever verse you're studying, read it backwards by principle. And you'll see exactly what Satan's focus is. Going up a little bit on the verse where it says, Therefore I am well content with insults, persecutions, and distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. What Satan wants you to do is to be bothered and you have to sit and rest. You gotta, okay, okay, I am well, I'm well content with insults here. This doesn't bother me, I'm, I'm complete in Christ. I, you literally brainwash yourself to convince yourself that you are different and these things are not bothering you. Liar, liar, pants on fire. It won't work, and Satan knows it. You cannot convince yourself of the Word of God. It's like people practicing the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, this week I'm going to focus on patience. And then next week, kindness. And then the week after that, endurance. And 
That's exactly what Satan wants you to do. Those are fruit. It's the result of the tree doing the work. So Satan takes the fruit and shoves it at Eve and says, Eat! And creates indulgence. Eat! Not eat because you're hungry. Eat! That's what Satan even does with the word with Christians. Eat! Some people who read the word of God are nauseated. Doesn't make them feel good. Because Satan is forcing them to read to change. It doesn't work. The word of God is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It can divide the soul from the spirit, the joint from the marrow, able to judge every thought and attention of the heart. It doesn't need your work. It doesn't need you to memorize it. It doesn't need you to practice it. It is God. Then when you begin to walk it out, that's the practice he's talking about. Satan doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to practice contentment. He wants you to practice dealing with persecution. Dealing with those who don't love you anymore. The fact is, you're not going to be able to deal with it. Unless the three verses above it take action. So let's crawl up a little higher. It says in verse 9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Where does Satan want you to put the emphasis on? Grace. Just like we have ruined that song. Oh, Jesus loves me just the way that I am. No, he doesn't. That's why he had to take you to the cross with him, co-crucifixion, kill off your old man, because he does not accept people the way that they are. Do you understand that? We have ruined the gospel and we are gathering people, hundreds and thousands of people, into these buildings and telling them God loves them just the way that they are. And he does not. This is profound stuff that is simple, that has gone complicated. The reason why he sends people to hell, and if I remember correctly, that's what happens if you do not receive Jesus Christ is you have to go to hell. Why would God send someone to hell if he loved you? That is exactly why we have the emergent church. Because they dared to answer the question that most of us won't. So I'm not afraid to tell someone, no, Jesus and my old man, my old nature, they don't get along. Jesus does not love my flesh. That Jesus doesn't love who I am, a wretched man, as the song says. He does not like that person. But see, Jesus is able to see who we really are and love who we really are. And we've got to keep that in the gospel. Or the gospel will turn emergent. Now, if we read this verse according to Hebrew and the Greek, it will read like this. My divine influence, that is free. My divine influence that is free is sufficient for you. 
In other words, all you should really want is my divine influence. Steve, when you, when you say things that you shouldn't say, you need my divine influence. Steve, when you do things that you shouldn't do, you need my divine influence. And by the way, Steve, it's free. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to practice it. You don't have to memorize it. It's free. My divine influence is free. Then when you accept that, then you accept the fact that my power, Jesus saying this, my power is perfected when you admit you can't do it. You can't practice it without my divine influence. You're nothing. You're nobody. So we go up to verse 8. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might part from me. What is the it? And what's the thorn in the flesh? Therefore there was given to me a messenger of to buffet me, to keep me, Paul, from being proud. The translation there is not exalt, even though King James and New American, from my perspective, two best translations, uh, says exalt. It is pride. To keep him from being proud, there was given to him a messenger of Satan to buffet him. That's like a sanding stone rubbing on your skin 24 hours a day. Well, that's kind of a different perspective of that verse that God has literally sent a messenger of Satan to buffet Paul to keep him from being proud. Then, through that acknowledgement that the issue here is pride, now I'm able to deal with the truth of the matter is that I, first of all, am going to get up every morning and say, I want it, I want this demonic harassment to stop. And Jesus didn't respond with, okay, Paul, you're a faithful servant. I'm with you. I'm, I'm your protector. I'm your provider. I'll stand against this and you won't have to worry about this anymore. Because I love you. Is that what he said? What did he say? I mean, Paul entreated the Lord three times that it may part from him. I'm like Paul. I like to pray about things once. Janie and I have had this debate for many years over this. But it's, it depends on a person's faith and what God has told them. I like to pray about it once and when I'm tempted not to believe the second, third, fourth, fifth, hundredth time, I need to say, as I have believed before, O Lord, I believe today that this is for my good. Whereas some people pray that it might part again and again and again and again. Now Paul prayed three times over this messenger of Satan to take a hike. Paul was in the habit of praying and believing, period. I would have prayed, even in my temptation, three times in a day. Or an hour for some people. No, Paul did three times in his whole lifetime as a Christian. This is a key factor when it comes to faith. Jesus should have responded to Paul and said, you are such a man of faith, I am going to get rid of this thing. 
But he, that's not how he responded. He said, my divine influence is free, Paul, and it's enough. That's all you need to know today. My divine influence that is free is enough. Then my power will be perfected in the middle of your standing. 24 hours a day. Do you or do you not join me in this, Paul? Paul's response was, therefore I would rather, what's that nasty word that usually goes with pride? Boast. Brag is a Latin word you can use with that. Therefore I'd rather brag about my infirmity, my illness, my weakness, that the power of God may be known. Okay, now let me show you a few things. In, in, during that fall, this is a nice, beautiful green apple back here. And did you know that Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil to be something they already were? I mean, Adam and Eve already had everything. They were perfectly unified with the Father. They had the Father's heart beating inside of them. The physical heart is symbolic of the life flow of the identity of God. So as it beats and blood is pumped out and into the heart, blood in Hebrew means identity. Our identity DNA is found in blood. So it's literal nowadays. But back when God wrote the Hebrew for these people, when he said, there is identity in blood. He knew what he was talking about. DNA. So they had God's DNA. It was from God's creation that they were whole and complete. And if God says, you can eat all the apples, all the kiwi, all the bananas, all the mango, every kind of fruit in the entire garden. But, do not eat first from this tree. Do not eat this fruit. Because if you do, you will be separated from me forever. That's what death means in that passage. Separated from me forever. In other words, they're going to go to hell unless a sacrifice occurred. Unless there was a reconnection. So the gospel is in the Hebrew. It's very strong in the Hebrew. So Satan comes along and he says, if you eat, you will be like God. Well, the facts were is that they were already like God. They already had his DNA spiritually, psychologically, and physically. What more could you want? He couldn't offer them anything than what they already were. It'd be like him saying, if you eat from this apple, you will be the son of God. Really? Is that why you're standing here in front of me? Did that work for you? To try to be the son of God? It didn't. 
God is who he is and he shares his glory with nobody but Jesus Christ. Jesus, on the other hand, does share his glory with us. It's an amazing principle. But that's what husbands are supposed to do, is share their glory with their wives. So, the fact is, he was tempting them to be somebody they already were. And the crazy thing about it, it worked. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to lie to you about something that's truth. Guaranteed to work every time. If I lie to you about something that's already true about you, because inside you're going, well, of course. But the reason why it's a lie is because you already have it. How can I give you something you already have? So what he had to do was to break the do not eat. That's what he had to break. Satan could care less about the apple or whatever kind of fruit it was. He'd care less about the tree of knowledge. He could care less about being chained to that tree. He'd care less about any of that stuff. What he cared about is misery loves company. And he didn't want to be alone in his demise. As nobody who's fleshing out wants to be alone in their flesh. That's why they pick fights. Nobody enjoys misery alone because it makes them feel more alone. If Satan can keep us from knowing who we are in Christ Jesus, new creation, saints, the people, and children of God, then he can tempt us into wanting something we already have. Okay, here's, here's how easy this is. If you're walking down the street and you see someone that you really don't like very well, or you've been told not to like very well, you are acting as Satan by judging them according to something they did. Even if they really did it, you're acting as Satan. Because true Christians act and walk in grace. Divine influence. You'll want to approach the person to influence them for Jesus Christ. Not judge them. They are proving they're not Christians. Or they're proving they are distorted Christians. Baby Christians. So anytime you are put in the position of wanting someone to perform for you or you're judging them because they performed not the way you wanted them to, if you don't use divine influence on them to win them back, you are acting as of Satan. That's exactly what Satan does. Judge not, brethren, lest you be judged in a like fashion. And that's how it works. But you can't tell that to your average Christian. And I do put that in quotes. Because they don't understand grace. People of grace want to influence another. Not judge them. Not read off their sins. They want to influence them for Christ Jesus. That's what our message is about. But we can't do that unless we are broken. A true indwelt Christian does not do in order to become. This is what Jane was saying. He does because he is what God has made him or her to be in Christ Jesus. So if I see that person on the street and I want them to do or act in a different way, I will be judged in like manner. It's going to come back on me. 
When I hear people talking about someone else like that, I just step back a little bit. Because you are right in the middle of demonic influence. Just step back, give some space. The enemy is going to have its way. Because through judgment is death, separation. They'll separate you from your mother, your father, your brother, your sister in Christ. They separate. Satan is a separator. He is not an influencer to the life of Christ. So he has to create a fake Jesus. And I think that's how the song finished, if I remember correctly. And as a result of Satan doing that, God, as the song says, literally dissolves the earth into a ball of fire. Yeah, and that's exactly where we're going this. We're actually training them to be hypocrites and join up with a Jesus that is, has nothing to do with that kind of church. It's a church of hypocrisy. This is one of my favorite passages about eagles and my family members probably know I have this thing about eagles and it's because I felt like a turkey my entire life. One of my mentors, Peter Lord, you're going to be hearing me reference him over the months uh, because he wrote a book which actually came from a sermon I heard him preach called Turkeys and Eagles. I felt like a turkey my entire life. So when someone came along and said, Steve, don't you realize that you're an eagle and you can soar like an eagle? I didn't believe them. In fact, I still don't believe them on my bad days. So when he says he gives strength to the weary, now I'm literally strapped with a, with a weakness from the Lord that keeps me weary and barely able to breathe on certain moments of the day. And I fight this sometimes 24 hours a day. Because I feel weary sometimes just getting up and going to the refrigerator. So he gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, Yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength and they will mount up with wings of eagles and they will run and not get tired and they will walk and not become weary. And there's one thing the Lord brings me back to consistently is that I am compelled to tell the truth. I have my bad days, my bad moments, my bad weeks, but I am compelled to tell the truth at any price and God has shown me over and over because he is doing this I have to embrace my brokenness my weariness or I don't get this so that's why we have to talk about it this can take us months to talk about it it's really hard to soar like an eagle when you think you're a big turkey Seriously, I'm going to use a story and I'm going to ask one of you ladies if you would be open to being our storyteller. You're literally going to read the book that Peter Lord, or they actually wrote from his sermon. Peter is either, well he's probably pretty close to passing on. He's got to be 85, 86 by now. Uh, his son was our pastor in Colorado and we were heavily 
influenced by his message of the exchange life in a very practical way and this is one of his sermons and he says it in a story form about this turkey who's really an eagle but fell out of a nest and was raised by turkeys and acts more like a turkey than an eagle until he meets a wise old owl. So we're going to read portions of the story every week as we talk about the message of the exchange life in brokenness. But this is true. How seriously can we fly and soar like eagles if we really truly believe in here we are just a big turkey. Okay, if you have a piece of paper, you have to write true or false. Just put number one, true or false. And I will integrate the answers to this quiz throughout our series. For those of you who are listening online, you can go back to the media library and you can click on the notes and open those notes up and print them off and get this true or false test in the notes. Number one, a good description of a Christian is a sinner saved by grace. Number two, you can sin and not know it. Number three, it is normal for Christians to sin every day. Number four, a bad thought is a sin. Number five, it is easier for a Christian to sin than to do right. Number six, the closer we get to Christ, the less we are tempted. Number seven, we get closer to Christ through actions of righteousness. Number eight is sainthood is attained by only a few Christians. Number nine, to be tempted is a sign of our sinfulness. Next week's sermon, we will address number one. We'll find out if you were true or false in your beliefs. How is it that we can experientially embrace what God says is true about us as his beloved children? Now before we're born again, are we his children? Theology, good theology says, yes. We are children on the run. We are prodigal children. We are, we are running from the Father. Why did the prodigal father say, here's your check, take it and run, go. Do not come back unless you're willing to reconcile with your father. Simple guidelines. And if the majority of them do not come back, they will have to go to one of the two places in the end. In other words, God didn't send them to hell, contrary to the opinion of most Christians. They, in their rebellion, chose the way of sin and separation. God's initial desire is to have all of his children come unto him. But it does not go that way. We just get it all mixed up. Does God know who's going to choose to stay out there and live with the pigs? Yes, he, he does know. As a father knew that particular son in, in Luke 15, he, he knew that one was going to come back. Because a father knows his son. There's also fathers that can look at certain children and say, I'll never see him again. 
I'll please surprise me, O oh Lord, but I'll never see them again. They'll never come back. Because the parents know them. Jane and Mary's mother and father to their grave knew that their son, their wayward son, was going to come back. By all signs and lack of wonders, you would say their belief was in vain. But I will never come against that belief, even though they're dead. They know. Parent knows. Just as God knows. It's not going to happen unless we have brokenness. We have to be broken. It's just, it's just the, the simple step, the very first step to truth and life and growth is being broken. Abby, what happens to some of the little precious lambs who keep running out to mess around and tempt the wolves? See, we don't talk about that part of the story, do we? We talk about the wolves tempting the sheep and luring them away. That is not completely the truth. Sheep tempt wolves to come after them by straying. They set themselves up for sin. And there are certain sheep that enjoy doing that. As you have certain children that enjoy setting the enemy up to come and devour me. So what happens to some of those sheep? And does the shepherd like break their leg and just leave them there by the stream? He first goes up and can you imagine Ian if I just like took your leg and said excuse me and just and then right after I broke it and you're screaming and crying and you know all the pain and I put it back in place, wrap it up and then I throw you over my shoulder and carry you around till it's healed. Forced bonding happens after brokenness. But you got to get broke first. It's just that people spend billions of dollars on medication, billions of dollars on ex exercising, billions of dollars on doing things to stop them from breaking. Saying stay healthy. So they don't have to deal with brokenness in the end. And as the word says, in the end, for them, the way is worse because they weren't embracing brokenness throughout their life. I might be one of those. Pride plus brokenness equals humility. Hebrew for humility is a very, very powerful statement. What is it again? Just as a reminder for particularly those online listeners is that this series on brokenness comes from three studies that I have done. One is on the, the brokenness material that Nancy Lee DeMoss has put out called Brokenness, Surrender, and, and Holiness. And then Andrew Murray's book on humility. Powerful little book. And then my own study on the book of Job, which many of you are familiar with the emails I send out on a weekly basis about embracing your brokenness. So, humility from the Hebrew means a little less than human. When Jesus came and humbled himself, he became a little bit less than us. So if some man approached him and acted like he was the big cheese, you know, those Pharisees, and even P. 
Peter, Jesus would always get a little lower. That's humility. Comes from human being less than human. Okay? Humility plus dependence. Keep in mind you can't have dependence until you have humility. You can't have humility until you have brokenness. You can't have brokenness until you acknowledge your pride. This is the passage we started our sermon out with. To keep me, Paul, from exalting myself. Being proud, God gave me uh, a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. So you have an acknowledgement of pride with broken legs, humility. Now humility creates dependence. These two together create a childlike faith. If I remember correctly, Jesus said, you can't even get into heaven. Someone want to finish the verse? Unless you have faith like a child. So I, I have no problem understanding the passage when Jesus said, there will be many who come before me and say, I casted out demons in your name. I preached in your name. I proclaimed your name. And Jesus is going to look at them and say, Be gone from me, for I know you not. Because they didn't follow the formula. You and I will not have childlike faith unless we acknowledge our pride, get our legs broken, experience what it means to be less than your brother and sister, and have that humility so we can depend on Jesus Christ on the shepherd as we are hanging off of his shoulder and then we will be sheep-like, childlike, sheepish. When you're childlike, here's the last formula, childlike plus Christ's mind equals true life. When you have the mind of a child with the mind of Christ, that is the absolute perfect blend to make a victorious Christian life. Because adult brains think they're God. Oh, I can figure it out. They do to become so that they can be acknowledged for who they are. Great deception. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, for the effectual sins of a righteous man prevaileth much. So, or in this translation, the effective prayers of a righteous man can accomplish much. Sometimes I get my NS, NASB and King James all blended in there. But we have to ask ourselves this question. Why don't we share in body life anymore. Well, I mean, we rush through church services. We get together as family and we don't talk about our sins. There is absolutely no way you'll have that effective prayer of a righteous person in that room accomplishing anything unless you have this. So this morning was a setup for all of us. I wanted to see if there was a spirit movement of someone saying, I, I need to confess a sin here so that someone could pray over me so that I can be free. Sharing about grandma and grandpa and brother and sister and, and even certain needs we have is okay and it is needed. 
but it is not required of us. What is a requirement in the gospel is to confess thy sin therefore to one another so that one for sure God will put one person in that group sometimes it can be a child who, who prays over that person and they will be set free and you'll have a movement by the spirit another person goes well I'm going to try that next week then you have a transparent body who is aware of all of our weaknesses how many counselors did Job have? three very very wise very studious. I have done a genealogical study on each one of the men. They come from a very rich history. But there were four men there. The other one was a young man. And how old are you? Huh? Eleven. Okay, 13 years of age. He was under the tutorage of one of the three. We're just not sure which one it was. But he was there to be trained on how to do it. And these three men were blowing it, completely blowing it. Had no clue how to help this, this man, their friend, who has been their counselor all these years. He was in despair, laying in a pile of ashes, and God obviously forsaking him. And their counsel for 41 chapters out of the 42 is filled with, You blew it, Job. You got sin in your life until a 13 year old steps forward and puts them all in place and says here's what's going on the mind of a child speaking out of the mouth of babes is what God is after and if one of those old wise friends of Job could have maintained a childlike mind with the mind of God he would have been a truth-sayer never trust any preacher who cannot act as a child that's been my foundational belief for many years if they're so caught up in theology that they cannot be as a child I will listen but I will not take to heart what they say they need to know how to present it as a child they need to know how to connect to children they need to know how to bring the children unto them because that is the final formula childlike mind Christ mind truth sayer true life so in conclusion I want us to take a look at what pride really is. It's protecting my reputation, repute, which means avoiding being confronted. I don't want to be confronted. So I will lie, steal, cheat, put makeup on, put fancy clothes on, get involved in civic things. Anything I have to do to protect my reputation in order to deceive others externally our communities are filled with it everywhere because they do not want to be confronted with their sin yes so you want to know the answer to what we just talked about of why we can't confess our sin therefore to one another it is really simple pride protecting our reputations first of all internally so that we can be protected externally in the community, in the family, in the marriage, in the friendship, whatever the case may be. And you want to get God agitated? The seven things that Proverbs says that God hates, seven things, five of them, he repeats himself with pride. 
He hates pride. He absolutely hates pride. He'll send a demon to buffet someone. He'll send you through thick and thin to get rid of this. Because as soon as you start protecting your reputation, you're going to be sucked down the tube. Because Christ is not into reputation. He is into influencing for his Father's sake. So in spite of the appearance we leave others around us, we are unable to deceive the mind of God. For the eyes are upon the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. One of my favorite passages now, which I can't believe I'm saying this, is Job 34.21. If you keep that in your mind, that God is watching whether man is or is not, you're going you're gonna to watch your own self and what you choose to do. But if you forget this, oh, you're, you're going to think you can hide everything. It's like you're watching your kids stuff something in the closet and you're standing there watching them like, why are you, why are you hiding it? You know, I'm standing right here watching you hide it. And they really think they're hiding it. And it's kind of a joke. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy to you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's like the heart of the person you're talking to is on one end of the block, and their lips are on the other end of the block. They want you to listen to what's coming out of their lips. I want to train you, as well as we need to train each other, to forget what's coming out of their lips and go down here and discover what their heart is saying. That's discipleship. Every time they open their mouth, they're going to see you're not really listening. You're really listening to them and their heart. And they'll quit lying to you. That's how you stop someone, a child or an old man, from lying to you. Don't listen to what comes out of their lips. Listen to their heart. Like God does. God does not need to hear Steve Finney preach. Believe me. What he's more interested in is in the heart of Steve Finney's preaching. So how to most, <clears throat> how to most reveal their hypocrisy? This is going to hurt a couple of us here. Perfectionism. Here's a definition that God gave me of perfectionism when I wrote a book about it, which ended up getting stolen by my publisher, went on the market, I walked into a Christian bookstore, saw my book in a rack, picked it up and said, this is my book. On perfectionism. And all I could do was laugh. Now I knew my publisher lost the manuscript when he moved to Atlanta. But he, what God was saying to me is, Steve, even in you doing research and writing about it, you were a perfectionist. Taking ownership of something that belongs to me. So here's the definition he gave me. Perfectionism is really Phariseeism from the Hebrew. Phariseeism is not a Greek word. It is a Hebrew word. It is a keeper of the law. It's someone who focuses on keeping the law. So it's putting people, places, and things in order, in order to feel emotionally in order. So in other words, if it bothers me that there is stuff that's messy, and I'm just restless until I get it put in order. That's perfectionism. If external things are affecting you emotionally, it's perfectionism. 
The problem is always fixing the fix that God has fixed on you to bring you to brokenness. Thus having to return to the cross for broken, to brokenness time, time and again. So God says, okay, back to the cross. Let's do a review here. And that's where most Christians live. They keep drinking milk. They can't handle steak and mushrooms. Finally, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from, your, from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That is uh, Ezekiel 36.26. There's many of us that have hearts of stone, but in God's mind, He wants to take the stone heart out and give us a heart of flesh. Next week, Spiritual Secrets to a Broken Life. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.